book of Matthew in chapter number 28. The book of Matthew in chapter number 28. And for the last few weeks, we have been uh, preaching from the book of Romans in chapter number 8. And we have uh, spent a lot of time talking about the golden chain and talking about uh, being justified and being glorified. And, and we've talked about how that, you know, that, that we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And we talked about how that, that process of being conformed to the image of Jesus is called progressive sanctification. And last week we kind of concluded the message by, by reminding us where that takes place. And so I, I want you to, last week we referred to an artist, and, and a, a, an artist who might paint a portrait. And I, I want us to go back in our minds maybe to an art exhibit that you've been to before, or maybe some famous piece of art, and think about that art exhibit. And as you go and you look at the, 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 the picture that comes to my mind is Van Gogh's Starry Night. But as you, as you go and you start thinking about those pieces of art and you begin to admire, I, I thought a lot about local artists and I thought about getting a, a few pieces of art from local artists to have here today, but I wasn't able to pull that off. But but when you think about that art, I mean, you first look at one, one picture that they might have painted, and, and then maybe you look at multiples of them, and, and you can appreciate each piece of art for what it is, but before long, you, as you think about the multitude of pieces of art, the focus sometimes goes away from the individual pieces of art, and you begin thinking about the artist. You begin thinking about the skill of that artist. And you know, I'm, I'm not a, an art critic or anything like that, but, but you know, you can appreciate the skill of an artist. I've got a cousin who, um, we got a couple of pieces of his, of his art in our home, and, and, and I can be, I can just think about his, his skill as an artist. And so when we think about that, the reason I want us to bring that up is because with each piece of each painting of the artist that we view, the skill of the artist, our appreciation for his skill begins to grow. And so when we think about that, we know that the church, in the church we get the same idea. We know, and we're going to learn eventually as we go through this text, looking at a church, is that the church is the body of Christ, and we are uh, members in particular and each individual member, you might say, is a piece of uh, artwork by God. Jeremiah says that we are clay in the potter's hand. And so we might realize that each one of us, as clay in the potter's hands, that he is molding us and forming us after his goal and idea. And what's going to happen is, as people can begin to look at the piece of art that our life becomes, they might be able to appreciate how we have grown spiritually. But before long, their focal point of their mind is going to turn away from each individual and begin to think about the glory of the artist 
And in the church, the glory of the artist is the Lord himself. And so that's why we want to think about uh, God's plan for us to produce perfected saints. We want to think about God's working in us to progressively sanctify us. Because as we are molded and formed into the image of God, the glory of God begins to be noticed. And that happens inside of church. You see, a church is the place where the individual members come together, and the Bible tells us that together we are the household of God. Peter tells us that God has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And so we know it's inside a church where we learn how to be uh, conformed to the image of Jesus. It's in the church where uh, we are able to display the work of God in our lives. And so as we come together as a church, it's there that we are able to glorify God. You know, unto Him be glory in the church. It's as we come together as individual members where we can begin to focus the glory upon God because, like they say at the mission, the song that they sing there, look what the Lord has done. You're able to see what God is doing in people's lives in the church. And so we read in Matthew chapter number 28, we read about the work that God gave unto the church in our church members' handbook, which we're going through on Wednesday night. It's called the objective and the outreach of the church. In our message today, it's going to be the third point, which is the function of the church. But before we look at the function of the church, we're going to look at the foundation and the forming of the church because it's in the church where the work of God is accomplished. It's in the church where the learning how to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ takes place. It's in the church where progressive sanctification takes place where we uh, uh, admonish one another where we encourage one another and where we together become the household of God so we can shine the glory uh, of God to this world but we look at Matthew 28 and I know this is a familiar passage verse 16 says then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus appointed them and when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's pray. God, we're thankful that you just haven't created a bunch of uh, freelancers. We're not free agents to, to follow you to the best of our ability without any understanding of those things uh, which are pleasing to you. But God, you have given us your word to, to guide us and direct us. You have given us the church where we can be molded and formed and taught and instructed and love and and all of those things. God, you, you saw what we needed, and you knew what we'd need, and so you gave us the church to help us grow spiritually. Today, God, we're thankful for that, and I pray that as we dig into your word and we see the value of the church, 
that each of us will begin to uh, appreciate our place in the church and understand the importance of our place in the church, our importance to bring glory to you, but God, our importance to help one another grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this instruction that you have given us, and we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Before we look at, there's, like I said, that's the third point, the function of the church. But before we get that, we want to begin by looking at the foundation of the church. And we're going to turn, first of all, to the book of Ephesians in chapter number 2. Because what we want to see is that, that, that God had in mind what He was going to do and how He was going to uh, operate in this world and how He was going to bring about his purposes in this world, his design was for a church. And the word church just simply means an assembly. God began in the Garden of Eden, and, and he instituted the family because he knew that we were created as social individuals. He knew that we weren't called in life to go at life alone. And so he created the family, he instituted the family where uh, we could learn and we could grow. Again, it's the family's responsibility to teach the, the children, you know, in the family how, how, how to live. And, and that's where the main place of instruction takes place. But God also knew that we were social creatures and we were going to need others to come alongside us in, our, in the development of our Christian walk. And so he designed the church to be that place. And it tells us in Ephesians chapter number 2 and verse number 19, he says, now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also to build it together for an habitation of God, through the Spirit. And we could spend a lot of time talking about uh, the church there and, and, and thinking about, think about this. As we come together, as we are assembled together, we understand that we are a habitation for God and we are fitly formed together. We are here through God's design and according to God's people, uh, according to God's purpose. And we see that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. He is the head of the church. But we understand he's the cornerstone and the foundation are the apostles. So what we're going to see is when Jesus walked upon this earth, he had a plan in mind to, to build his assembly. And he began forming the foundation of the assembly in the apostles. And so the apostles are the beginning of the foundation. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. He's the head of the church, and then the apostles are the beginning of the building. They are the foundation. Jesus began building his church with the apostles. Now, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, reading verses 27 and 28, and again, really, essentially, all I'm trying to prove in this point is the fact that the apostles are the beginning of the church. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 27 and 28 and it says, now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first 
apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, and so forth. God has, done, God has given us everything that we need as a church to operate in such a way that is well-pleasing to Him, and we understand the church is the body of Christ. And members are members in particular. They're, they're not accidents. We, we stopped by Kim's brothers and sisters, brother's house yesterday, and they're remodeling their kitchen. And, and when they're remodeling their kitchen, they laid some, some brick down on the floor. And is it 40 pounds of grout it took for that or 60 pounds of grout or something it took? But, any, but anyway... They didn't just arbitrarily take some brick and kind of throw them on the, on the floor, you know. I mean, they, they designed how they wanted the brick to lay and what the grout joints were going to look at and all that. It all happened according to a specific. And sometimes they had to choose particular brick to fit in a particular spot. You know, you can't fit a nine-inch brick in a six-inch hole, right? And so, so there had to be some design and particular rocks go in or, block or bricks go in a particular spot and the whole thing is that as they build upon each block then then the whole was accomplished but each individual brick is important and the point being is this your members in particular god is building his church through the members of the church and you're a member of the church by god's design but again he placed some in the church first apostles they were first in time and they were first in importance they had a unique authority i think it was john gill the the uh, commentator who said this they were sent into all the world to preach the gospel to plant churches everywhere and to ordain officers in them they were not confined to any particular church but had power and authority in all the churches to preach the word administer ordinances advise counsel direct reprove and censure so as god is building his church as jesus is building the church that uh, god had a plan and jesus is orchestrating that plan and the beginning the foundation is the apostles and so we want to we want to understand that we want to understand that when we look at the church jesus began to build his church while he walked upon this earth and he began the building of the church with the apostles. Now I want you to think about that. Just, this just kind of flew across my head. But, but here we are 2,000 years later. The work that Jesus began while he walked upon this earth is continuing today. And that work is continuing in his church. And as a member of his church, you're continuing building upon the foundation that Jesus built of the apostles. And you're just another brick being added to the work of Jesus Christ. Think about how important your position in the church is to continue on the work that Jesus started. And so when we go back to our text and we think about Matthew 28, we're coming to the end time of the ministry of Jesus. His time on earth is ended. It's time for him to ascend to his father. And he's giving them the church, the, the 11 apostles. You know, Matthew spe specifies there, the 11 disciples are there. 
It, it, it specified that the 11 disciples were there to point us to think about, he's talking about the apostles. He's talking about the foundation of the church. And the end of the ministry of Jesus is upon us. Jesus is going to go. His physical presence is going to be removed. But we remember that Jesus said, I must go away. But if I go away, I'll send a comforter unto you. God, he's going to send the Holy Spirit to them. And, and there's a reason, there's a practical reason for that. How could Jesus personally reach around the world? He, it'd be difficult for him to do that, right? But if his physical presence is gone and the spiritual presence comes, then the spiritual presence can reach around the world. The spiritual presence can go on for eternity. So it was necessary that the physical presence of Jesus could go away so we could spend, send this, this comforter it's, it's, uh, to, to, to be in this world. The presence of God expanded beyond the physical presence of Jesus. Because the Spirit is not bound by space, time, and matter as the physical Jesus was, we know that the, the, the work of the church can be expanded the work of Jesus can be expanded beyond a single location. And so, Jesus goes out of the way. He leaves the church behind to do his work. And then he's going to send the Holy Spirit to empower them to be able to accomplish the work that, uh, that he has designed for them. But what we're reading in Matthew 28 is that Jesus is, is finishing his time on the earth and he has spent his ministry preparing the church to take over for him when he leaves. Preparing the church for the work they are called to do. That's, that's one of the reasons that we're going over our articles of faith on Wednesday nights, is help us to understand we're continuing on the work that Jesus started while he was on this earth, and, and we want to understand how what we are doing goes back to what Jesus did. Remember, we're to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And so we, we understand the importance of what we're doing in Emmanuel Missionary Baptist Church is that we are continuing on the work of Jesus. We are continuing on the church that Jesus built. Your membership is important to help us continue to do the work that Jesus did. If you want to know in Luke chapter number 6, and, and you don't have to turn there, but, but it says there that this is verse 12 and 13. He, he called his disciples unto him, uh, and out of those he chose 12, which he called apostles. The apostles, the beginning, the foundation of the church. And when Jesus ascends to heaven, who's present? The apostles. You see the importance. The, the foundation of the church is the apostles. And what we're building here today, we're building upon the foundation of the prophets. And so I've mentioned already that there was a plan, an, an objective, and that God had a plan of how he was going to build his church and what he was going to establish in the church. And, and we can see that. It's, it's not hidden for us. Jesus gave us that. And you go back to the book of Matthew in chapter number 16. And so, so now we're going to look at the forming of the church. We saw the foundation of the church but now we're going to see the forming of the church and how's the church going to operate. And in Matthew chapter 16, we'll begin reading in verse number, number 13. 
When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say you that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou, thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. So, what are we going to build upon the foundation? How are we going to build upon the foundation? The thing that Jesus wanted to establish first and foremost is to build upon the foundation is the confession of Peter that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, if Jesus is not the Christ, the Son of the living God, then we have nothing to build upon. But because Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and because he came to live the perfect life so that he could uh, take our sins in his own body and bear them and die for our sins and be raised again for our thir the third day for our justification, now we have something to build upon. We have the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ to build upon. We have the hope of eternal life, the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. We have that to build upon. But if we don't have that foundation, if we don't have that confession to build upon, there's nothing there. But because they are convicted in their hearts and they understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, they can build upon that. And what are we building upon today? What is the message that we continue to preach? We are continuing to preach that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the one that bore our sins in His body on the tree. He is the one that took our place. And He is the one that was risen again. And because we, He has been risen again, raised again, we can have hope of eternal life and we can believe in Him. We are still preaching that same confession. And we're still building upon that confession of who Jesus Christ is. It's the foundation upon which the church was built. It's the next layer of that foundation. If Jesus is not the Christ, we have no foundation. We have nothing like it, like, and I don't know where it's at, but it says, if Christ be not risen, we are of all men most miserable. If Jesus Christ is not God in the flesh, dying for sin and being raised again, we don't have any reason to be here today. If Jesus is not the Christ, we're wasting our time. But the reason we're here and we continue to be here is because Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and because He was raised again the third day, that's why we're here. We have a reason to worship, and the reason we have to worship is because who Jesus is. And the reason we have an outreach, the reason we have a, a message to preach is because we have something to offer people. We have eternal life to offer them. We can tell them how to escape the tribulations that are in this world and what, how to look in hope to eternity and eternal life in Jesus Christ. You see, we have something to offer. 
And it's all built upon that foundation of Jesus Christ. Now, just briefly I want to mention here in verse number 18, Jesus said, Thou art Peter, you're a small rock, but upon this rock, meaning the confession of who Jesus is, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, the Catholic Church, that's where they say that Peter was the first pope and, and that, that they've built their, you know, that the, the popes are an extension of the ministry of Peter and, and all of that. But, but we know that, that that's not what it's talking about there. It's talking about the foundation uh, of, of, Jesus, uh, of, of the confession of Jesus Christ is what the church is going to be built upon. But we want to notice some things here about, first of all, the the forming of the church is built upon the confession of who, Je who Jesus Christ is. But I want you to notice the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Now we all know that Satan cannot, Satan cannot defeat the church. But, but there's something I want you to notice. You, you see this picture. This is the gates of hell. This is... They were standing in this location when Jesus makes, when Jesus quotes to them Matthew 16. They're here. That's the temple of Pan on the left-hand side there, the temple of Zeus in the middle. And you see those caves that are going back in the ground. Those caves were what the Greeks and the Romans called the gates of hell. They were the gates to the netherland. They were the access to the underworld. And Jesus is standing here, and you can go there, and this, this cave is still present today. And, and, and you can go here, and, and, and look where they're standing in the midst of this, the, the temple of Pan. They're standing in the gates of hell. This, this hillside is covered with idols. All different kinds of false gods are there. And Jesus is standing there, and he's got a, an object lesson for them. And he's saying, you see all of these false gods? You see this gates into the netherworld? I'm going to build my church, and that is not going to prevail against it. Zeus is not going to prevail against my church. Pan is not going to prevail against my church. Anything that comes out of the netherworld, anything this world might produce, it's not going to prevail against my church. In other words, any false religion that the world might produce, it's not going to succeed. It's not going to overcome my church. My church that I built is going to continue on until I return. I don't care what false religions are in the world. They're not going to get the victory. So Jesus, they get a visual picture of the gates of hell. Jesus is saying, that's not going to overcome my church. False religion is not going to overcome my church. My friend Lewis Tiger has been there. He's stood at the gates of hell. And here's some quotes he had this week. Jesus is using this as an illustration. They were staring straight at the supposed gateway to the dark netherworld. This place had the sprout of darkness and mysticism about it. 
In fact, that entire mountain was covered with shrines, small temples, and altars. Jesus is contrasting what he's going to build with all of those. His temple or church will outlast all these. They will fade away into obscurity, but not his church. This darkness will not prevail. These false gods and idols will not prevail. False worship will not overcome true worship. Christ and his kingdom will remain while rescuing souls from this darkness and idolatry. Folks, as we read this text of Scripture today about the forming of the church, we need to be encouraged. Because when Jesus spoke those words, that darkness will not prevail. False religions will not outlast his church. That the church is not going into obscurity. We need to be encouraged by that because we understand that no matter what's going on in this world, no matter what false religions might be promoted today, no matter how people might begin to forget about the things of God and think that Christianity is no longer important and it has no value, here's what we know. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church of Christ and the church of Christ is going to continue on until he returns. We have been promised that his work is going to continue on. And here we are today continuing on that work. And we need to be encouraged that as we continue to follow Jesus, that the work of Jesus is going to continue on. So don't lose heart. It doesn't matter what the world is throwing at us. It doesn't matter how many people have turned their hearts away from God. The work of Jesus Christ is never going to fail. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The church will be here when Jesus returns. And remember, today, you're helping Jesus fulfill that promise. As you're standing with Jesus Christ, following Him and His words, you're being used to fulfill the promise of God that the gates of hell will not prevail against him think about how important your place is in the church that as you are a member of emmanuel missionary baptist church you are helping fulfill the promise of jesus you are doing his work you're helping the church prevail against the evil and the darkness that is in this world jesus says to them i give unto you the keys of the kingdom the kingdom is the place where the king rules. And so we're thinking about the kingdom of Jesus and the church. Again, this is the 11 there, the foundation, the, the 12, the, the foundation, his disciples are there. And he says, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. I'm giving you the authority to bind and loose. Whatever you bind on earth, I'll be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. This is the church holding its members accountable. It's what the church is supposed to do. And we'll talk about, in just a minute, Matthew 18, but, but when the church comes together and, and they uh, bind someone or something, then it's bound in heaven. If they loose someone, and it's talking about loosing from membership, if you let them go, you know, it's going to be loosed in heaven. So, so this is the church exercising authority over its members. And why is this so important? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, 2, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. 
Paul was so concerned about the purity of the membership of the church because the church being the bride of Christ, I have presented, I, I have espoused you one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And one day, every individual church will be presented to Christ. And we want to be a chaste virgin. We want our church to be a pure church. And that's why this is important here. Turn over a couple pages to Matthew chapter number 18. So we're continuing the work that he did, but, but in Matthew chapter number 18, the, the, the disciples had asked, and we're going to begin reading in verse 15, the disciples had asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And, and Jesus goes on and said, the ones that are humble and the greatest are the greatest in the kingdom. And he, and he talks to them about handling offenses and the lost sheep and going and seeking the one. But then he gets to verse 15, and he talks about what happens when someone offends you? Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. And if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bound on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, if two or three, uh, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. What's he talking about? He, that whole passage right there is talking about if someone offends you, how do you handle that? First of all, you go to the individual. If that individual won't hear you, then you take two or three witnesses to go along with you. If they won't hear that, then you tell it to the church. And then the church is to make a judgment in this area. And whatever the church binds on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever the church looses on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It's how you handle uh, difficulties and problems in the church. And you'll notice there, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Uh, listen. That passage is not talking about, hey, if you and your buddy get together and you agree on something, then you, you know that Jesus is with you and you're going to have it. No, what it's talking about, when you come together as a church, and there's a situation that must be discussed, when you come together as a church, then I'm in the midst of you. But, again, he's, we're talking about the authority there. So, so you see that what, what Jesus has given them is the operation for the church. How's the church supposed to operate? In Matthew 16, he, he gave us some information. Matthew 18, he gave him some information. And then he's continuing on. You see that Jesus is building the church. He's, he's teaching them how to function. And then, like we've already mentioned, he, this is what you're going to do. This is the function of the church, Matthew 28. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's messages that can pre be preached on Matthew 28, but what do you see? First thing you see, verse 16, the 11 disciples went away into Galilee. You see the, uh, the apostles present. The second thing you see is, Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and the earth, so the authority is proclaimed. And then thirdly, what do you see? You see the assignment presented. So in this text, you see the, uh, the apostles present, the authority proclaimed, and the assignment presented. What is the assignment of the church? Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Teach all nations. Make disciples 
of all nations. What are disciples? Disciples are followers of Jesus. Why would they choose to follow Jesus? They would choose to follow Jesus because of the gospel. Notice what he didn't say. Hey, I want you to go out and get a bunch of people saved. Well, make disciples. L listen, we don't... Our objective should not be a bunch of flashes in the pan. Our objective is to make people disciples. There's, there's lots of people that can baptize a lot of people. Well, we had a revival and we baptized 25. Great. Where are they in a year? Where are they in two years? Where are they in three years? If they come to church, they walk down the aisle and they get baptized and they leave, they never darken the door. That's not a disciple of Jesus. What we are to do is to develop disciples. Make disciples, make followers of Jesus, and that's what we try to do. We try to teach the Word of God. We try to teach you why to honor Jesus. We try to make you a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And I can spend a lot of time there, but, but first thing, go and make disciples. Second thing, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And, and what does baptism picture? It pictures the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And then he says, teach them to observe all things. That's what a disciple does. A disciple learns to observe all things. A disciple learns how to be progressively sanctified, right? That's what we do. We try to make disciples. And you'll notice Jesus said, whatsoever I have commanded you, there are New Testament commandments. There are things that Jesus said you should do. There are things that Jesus said you shouldn't do. And we learn those in the church. And, and again, preach a whole message there, but but I just wanted us to get a point of we're going to go, go forward thinking about progressive sanctification and, and seeing that that takes place in the church. But I want you to see that that's exactly the way Jesus designed it. Jesus designed it that in the assembly of the 12 apostles, he, he authorized them to go and make disciples. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we are under that same authority, and we have the same function to make disciples. That's what we're doing. That's why we're here. That's why we encourage you to follow Jesus, because that's what you're to be. You're to be. He, it's not go out and get saved. It's become a disciple. And the promise, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. In other words, the gates of hell are not going to prevail. So we saw the foundation, the forming, and the function of the church. We began by discussing how an audience can appreciate the skill of the artist by looking at his art. Now, you are an individual masterpiece of God. You are clay in the potter's hand. This church is his studio where he does his work. So what kind of art is God producing in you? What kind of masterpiece are you becoming as you display the work of God in your life? I pray that you have a goal to be a masterpiece of God that will shine forth the glory of God and will point others to Jesus because of what God has done in your life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your work, and we pray, Lord, that as we have worshipped you today and understand the importance of following you in the church, that you will stir our hearts to follow you more closely 
as we continue on the work that you have called us to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to stand and